Hi everyone. My name is Suali from the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory at the University of Illinois. I'll be discussing effects of dietary calcium on digestibility and retention of phosphorus and blood biomarkers in late gestating cells. This work was presented in 2020 ASAS Midwest meeting. Let's start with take-home messages before we go over to the presentation. First, increasing dietary calcium decreases the apparent tract digestibility, ATTD, of phosphorus. Second, increasing dietary calcium increases the ATTD of calcium. Third, increasing dietary calcium increases retention of both calcium and phosphorus. Lastly, blood biomarkers may be useful to predict bone turnover status of pigs. In growing pigs, it has been known that excessive calcium in diet has negative effects on growth of pigs, and this has been shown in a number of previous experiments already. For example, previous data that were published in 2011 indicated that as dietary calcium increased from 0.33 to 1.04%, the ATTD of phosphorus linearly decreased. Another study also showed this. This experiment was not conducted to investigate the negative effects of too much calcium. However, we found that the ATTD of phosphorus in diets containing the same amounts of corn and monosodium phosphate fat-to-gestating cells were much different between calcium-free diet and calcium-carbonate diet. Only difference was the calcium level in diet, no calcium in calcium-free, but certain amount of calcium was provided from calcium carbonate in the second diet. There are two bone cells that are working on bone turnover. First one is osteoblast that is in charge of bone formation. And second one is osteoclast that is in charge of breaking down bones. The idea was if byproducts of those cells are analyzed in blood or urine, we may predict the bone formation and resorption. Therefore, the objective was to test hypothesis that increasing calcium in diet fed to cells affect calcium and phosphorus balance, serum calcium and phosphorus concentrations, and hormone and biomarker concentrations in blood. We utilized 36 gestating cells for this experiment. Initial body weight was about 219 kg, and they were in late gestation period. The cells were fed at 1.5 times maintenance requirement for energy. Four diets were formulated. First diet contained corn, soybean meal, and sugar beet pulp. Calcium carbonate and monosodium phosphate was also added, but the level of calcium and phosphorus were only at 25% of requirement. From the second diet, more calcium carbonate was added to have 50, 75, and 100% of the requirement with a constant level of phosphorus. The four diets contained 0.18 to 0.72% calcium and 0.56% phosphorus. Cells were fed a standard gestation diet before they were housed in metabolism crates, 
and feces and urine samples were quantitatively collected for four days. At the end of the experiment, sows were bled, and blood samples were collected to analyze calcium, phosphorus, hormones, and biomarkers in serum. Data were analyzed using mixed procedure of assess. In the statistical model, diet was the fixed effect, and replicate and parity were the random effects. Linear and quadratic effects of increasing dietary calcium were also tested using contrast coefficients. Jumping to the research, let me set up the slide. The horizontal axis represents percentage requirement of calcium that are 25% all the way up to 100%. The vertical axis represents the ATT of calcium and phosphorus in percent. As dietary calcium increased, the ATT of calcium quadratically increased. This increase can be explained by different contributions of the basal endosinous loss of calcium when calcium concentration varies from low to high. What about phosphorus? As dietary calcium increased, the ATT of phosphorus linearly decreased, and this was also observed in growing pig data. This decrease can be explained by the calcium and phosphorus precipitation in the intestinal tract of pigs. Now, we are looking at the retention of calcium and phosphorus in percent in the vertical axis. Retained calcium and phosphorus were calculated by subtracting calcium and phosphorus in feces and urine from intake of calcium and phosphorus respectively. As calcium increased in diet, retention of calcium quadratically increased. The quadratic increase in the ATTD of calcium can be one of the reasons for the quadratic increase in retention. We found that increasing dietary calcium decreases the ATTD of phosphorus. Then what about retention of phosphorus? As calcium increased in diet, retention of phosphorus linearly increased, and this was an opposite situation to the digestibility data. It has been known that the synthesis of bone tissues, which is the primary role of calcium and phosphorus, requires calcium and phosphorus in the body at the same time. Therefore, as more calcium was available in the body, as calcium increased in the diet, utilization of observed phosphorus increased in the body. This is clearer when we look at urine data. This graph shows the urine calcium and phosphorus in gram per day. As calcium increased in diet, excretion of calcium in urine was not changed, and this indicates that the body lacked of calcium, at least in the first three diets, because the body utilized all digestible calcium by minimizing excretion of calcium in urine. Urine phosphorus was linearly decreased by increasing calcium in the diet, because the body needed more phosphorus as more calcium available. We also analyzed serum concentrations of calcium and phosphorus. Data indicated that the serum calcium and phosphorus were not affected by dietary calcium level. This can be explained by hormonal regulations to keep constant levels of calcium and phosphorus in the body. 
Same story was found for hormone concentrations in blood. Serum levels of calcitonin and parathyroid hormone were not changed by level of calcium in diet. Estrogen has known to be related to calcium regulation, but estrogen level was not affected by increasing calcium in diet. CTX stands for carboxyterminal cross-linked telepeptide of type 1 collagen, and this metabolite is released from osteoclast. This biomarker linearly decreased as calcium increased in the diet, which means that the body reduced pulling over the calcium and phosphorus from the bone tissues as more calcium and phosphorus were available in the body. Osteocalcin is released from the osteoblast and may tell us if the body is synthesizing bone tissues. We saw numbers increase, but they were not significant. Bone alkaline phosphatase may also tell us if the body is synthesizing bone tissues. We expected this biomarker to increase as more calcium and phosphorus available in the body, but the research indicated the opposite way. Several experiments that were conducted previously also found this. More research is needed to investigate the correlation between bone turnover and the bone alkaline phosphatase. Because the body keeps forming and breaking down bone tissues, we have calculated the ratio between osteocalcin and CTX1 concentrations. As calcium in diets increased, the ratio linearly increased, which indicates that there were more bone formation over bone resorption. This result is in agreement with calcium and phosphorus balance data, showing that more calcium and phosphorus were retained to synthesize bone tissues. Let's move into conclusions. First, increasing dietary calcium decreases the ATT of phosphorus in gestating cells. Second, increasing dietary calcium increases the ATT of calcium and retention of both calcium and phosphorus. Lastly, blood biomarkers, specifically CTX1, may be useful to predict bone turnover status of pigs. This experiment was also published in Journal of Animal Science, so if you would like to see more details of this work, please find the paper. I would like to acknowledge ABVista for financial support and everyone from Dr. Stein's lab. And if you want to learn about the research we are conducting in the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory, please visit our website. You can also search Stein and Pick on Google. Thank you for listening.